You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board, where we remember the past to inspire the future. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. This is Missions History Podcast. Uh, Today, we have an opportunity to talk about a missionary that is very special to me and to uh, my co-host, Scott Peterson, and that is Sally Holmes. And Scott has written an article about Sally. Scott, what is the name of that article? Uh, Even Lottie Moon Had a Mentor in Missions, Meet Sally Holmes. Meet Sally Holmes. And so Scott and I are going to be talking about Sally and her husband, Landrum Holmes, and the importance that they have as far as Southern Baptist missions. Um, But today, one of the things we want to do is, as we're going into our second season, we should be really great on this episode. The reason is this is the third time we've recorded it. So we should be like experts on Sally Home. Well, now you're uh, just building up expectations. Yeah, well, there you go. We should be. Uh, but uh, whether we're experts or not, we both love Sally. She's just That's an amazing right. lady. And um, But Scott, you uh, have a special role here at the board. You work in research, but you also uh, oversee archives. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We want to kind of get to know you a little bit better since we all hear your voice on Missions History Podcast. Okay, well, I uh, first came to the IMB in 1995, straight out of seminary at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the entire time I've been in global research, although my roles and responsibilities have changed over the years. And uh, a few years ago, um, began to take on those responsibilities and archives, like you mentioned. And that's the fun part of my job that I get to do, digging into the past and learning more about our history. I'm kind of a history nerd. Well, tell us a little bit. Now, you and I share, um, at least I live in the state you're from. So tell us about your background. Where are you from, Scott? Well, I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and lived all of my life there until uh, college, and when I was in college, my parents moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, lived there for a few years, and then after college, uh, lived in Wake Forest. Okay, and how did you become a believer? Well, um, my parents were became believers when I was very young, and initially, I didn't have a clue what they were talking about, but of course, they were sharing the gospel with me, and I just wanted to make them happy, and so I said a prayer and was baptized, and I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so a few years later, uh, one evening after family devotions, uh, began to dawn on me that um, I really didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. So I got out of bed and found my mom and told her what I thought, and she called my dad, and then they sat there and led me to Christ. And tell me, you've also you went to Liberty, I believe, is that right? I did. I graduated from Liberty with a missions and cross-cultural studies degree. And then from there to Southeastern. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, one of, as I said, one of our favorite missionaries, and that's Sally Holmes. And so uh, just kind of give us a little context, uh, the sort of the big picture. Who was Sally Holmes? Well, let me back up a little bit and tell you how I first heard about Sally Holmes. Um, Back in 2014, uh, our archivist, Jim Berwick, who will be a, a guest on another episode of our podcast, began to talk with a man named Donald Little. Mr. Little was a descendant of one of Sally's siblings, and he had a collection of letters that Sally had written to her, primarily to her sister, and was looking for a home for those letters, someone who would um, take care of them, preserve them, that would be interested in her life. And so, 
through the course of that um, dialogue with Mr. Little and then the subsequent donation of those letters to our archives, we began to, to dig in a little more to Sally's life and to read a little more about her. And of course, there had been another uh, collection of letters to Sally's very good friend mm -hmm. that had been published and got a copy of those and read those as well and just became fascinated with this lady that while I'd heard of, I didn't know very much about at all. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned these letters in just having read a lot of letters from Southern Baptist missionaries, um, especially these personal, these private letters uh, that Sally could write. There is nobody who could put her soul on paper better than Sally Holmes. And I think that's one of the reasons she's so intriguing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, she's a just the experiences that she went through and her long years of service and the influence that she had are in and of itself are, make her a very important uh, person to talk about and to remember. Yeah. So I think she was born in 1836, something like that. That's right. About four years before Lottie Moon mm -hmm. and nine years before the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, in, I think, Upperville, Virginia was the place she was born. Her father was a dentist and her mother was a school teacher. Um, it one of the kind of curious things that I hadn't thought about, but these uh, dentistry and jewelry were kind of uh, connected fields in that family, and the family ended up having a long run uh, in the jewelry business. Wow, I, I didn't know that. So yeah, and uh, but somewhere in there, they moved a little bit uh, to the western part of Virginia and Maryland uh, area. Right. And uh, we're in, in that area, Preston County, I think. Yeah. And that's one of the interesting things is that uh, some of Sally's letters, is she's writing back uh, throughout the course of the Civil War and talking uh, about referring to her brother who was in the Maryland Home Guard, which, of course, was a part of the Union mm -hmm. Army. And Sally's immediate family was living in Virginia and made for some interesting uh, opinions and comments in those letters. They, right. And they, they were right on that borderland. That's right. There. And um, so, of course, the, the story of Sally is um, only one half of that story. Um, she living out in, in, I guess it's named Cumberland, uh, it might have been the town. Um, she met a young man um, who was, uh, had, he actually was a Methodist. Um, but somewhere in there, Sally had become a Baptist and, um, she and this young man formed a friendship and his name was Landrum Holmes, James Landrum Holmes. And they end up in uh, working or actually both in school and in the city of Baltimore. And it seems like, just talk about Baltimore a little bit and the history of Southern Baptist missions and some of the role that that city played. Well, we do know of a, a very famous Southern Baptist lady who was a resident of Baltimore by the name of Annie Armstrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, Richard Fuller. That's was, right. He was sort of the missionary influence to so many people. Um, you also had John Williams, who was pastor at, at uh, First Baptist. Uh, but there, so, so there were a lot of people coming out of that. Roswell Graves comes mm -hmm. out of there. Um, you have, uh, but these young people are all moving there. It's a big booming port city. Um, Landrum goes to, um, the Luther Rice School, Columbian in, right. in Washington, DC train has a heart to go, uh, as a missionary and, um, Mary Sally 
And then they set their sights on going to Southern Baptist's first mission field, but opening a new station eventually in that mission field. So where That's do right. they end up going? Well, well, before we do that, let's back up a little bit, because okay. you mentioned that Landrum was a Methodist. We didn't really talk about how he became a Baptist, but Richard Fuller— right had some influence on that. That's right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Right. You know, it seems like you look back at that period, middle 19th century um, denominationalism, everybody was kind of trying to figure it out. And particularly Baptist and Methodist uh, were the two strongest denominations. But I think one of the things that always is I find interesting is how many stories of missionaries in that time didn't grow up Baptist, but they became Baptist for one simple reason, and that is they read the New Testament, and they decided that that was that actually that vision of the church, that vision of believers' baptism, uh, was more in line with the New Testament. Um, and as you know, we all know that's really kind of the initial story of Baptist missions with uh, American Baptist missions mm-hmm. with Adoniram Judson. Absolutely, even on his way to the to the mission field. He begins to study scripture, and through that, God speaks to him. And when he arrives there in India, he has a, a, an experience, really, of where yeah. he says, I need to be to be immersed. Right. And Luther Rice comes and also has that same experience. Right. And, sort of, and so they really sort of started that whole Baptist missionary movement. But you, you go back to Sally and, and, and uh, Landrum, and of course, he becomes a Baptist. They have this heart for uh, missions, and the place that Southern Baptists are really focusing their attention is China. And so that's where they're going to go. Um, I think it's what, like 1858 or something that they leave for China? They sailed from New York in August of 1858. That's yeah. exactly right. And um, I think their first trip was like 22 weeks long. Um, That's hard for us to imagine how uh, long those folks were on a a ship. Exactly. Leaving New York Harbor August of, of 1858 and not arriving in Shanghai, China until February of 59. I mean, unbelievable, just the difference that the world is. And, and, and letters would take that long. So That's right. you might hear, you might write a letter, but then it would be almost a year going back and forth just to get one contact with someone. Well, we mentioned, though, that they arrived in Shanghai and we'd had a presence in Shanghai already uh, with a, another famous missionary that you're right. well acquainted to, Matthew Yates. Right. And, um, but Landrum was not content to to continue working in Shanghai, but he had a passion for wanting to open up a new field, as you mentioned. And so he began to to take a look and to travel. And there's some interesting stories. David, you actually write about this, I think, in, in your book, in a chapter both on Landrum and then another chapter on Sally. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that travel? Yeah, so it kind of set that up. Um, Landrum was, by all accounts, remarkable, as was Sally. I mean, in many ways, but also just sort of native intelligence, linguistic ability. He had learned Chinese so well that within 12 months, um, the U.S. consul was going on a mission to to uh, what is now called Beijing. And he said, would you go and serve as my translator, which is phenomenal to think someone could learn uh, the tonal uh, Mandarin that quickly. But he had. And um 
he had also gone to Nanking, which is the place where there was a rebel movement in China for a, a long period of time. And the Nanking was sort of the capital city of the Taiping uh, rebellion. And he'd gone there and tried to see if maybe that's a place that he could, could open a work. Uh, one of the things that had happened is that it's kind of a sad story, but really it was the opium wars that opened uh, China to the gospel. Um, it opened it to a lot of bad things, but it also opened it to the, the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. But the one place that had not been opened was the northern part of China. And so if you go up into the, the north of Shanghai, about 500 miles north of Shanghai, you have this one province, it's called Shandong. It's, it's uh, jutting out. They say it looks like a dog's head jutting out into the Yellow Sea. So it's right across from um, Manchuria and Korea. It's right, right there. And this province was at that time the most populous place on earth. It did not have any single large city like Shanghai. But it was an agricultural area, and there were people with farms uh, all across the region. The Yellow River runs through that province, um, uh, both giving irrigation, but also creating great problems with floods. So as you'll go through the history of people like Lottie Moon, and you'll hear about times when uh, she was helping flood or starvation victims, it's because the river would flood and would actually wash away the crops. Right. And so that it was both the life and the death of that province. Um, and they spoke a different language there, different dialect, too, from the southern part of China. They did. That's yeah. right. They, they were going to speak the, the Mandarin. And uh, Shanghai has its own dialect, too. But um, so this province also was famous because it was the birthplace of Confucius. Um, so a lot of pilgrims would come to Mount Tai, um, the final resting place of Confucius. Um, and so very densely populated agricultural area, but no missionary witness and really not open to foreigners. That's right. But Landrum makes a trip up there. They're actually repulsed, have to go back. He then goes and he has this kind of novel idea. And he's in the harbor of one of the towns. It's called Chefu, Yentai. And he, um, would, he lived on a boat. And every day he would go in, but by nightfall he had to leave. But he would go in and, and try to preach the gospel in the city of Yentai of Chefu. You know, it's amazing. I'm thinking here, as I recall reading back through your book and, and looking at some other missionaries of how boats have played a major a role in carrying the gospel uh, into places where the gospel has not been proclaimed before and missionaries using those tools much in the way that we now use air travel to get right. to and from and to get into places to where the gospel is not penetrated. And so it's just a different era, obviously, yeah. but the, the using the latest in technology and transportation has always been something that missionaries have wanted to do to be able to carry the gospel to the people that haven't heard. That's absolutely right. And, you know, Landrum writes a letter. It might have been like uh, February 8th, 1861, something like that, that he says, China is finally open in all of its breadth and all of its length to the gospel. So that was sort of a real turning point that finally this northern province opened. They allow him the right to live in on the mainland. 
um, and he begins preaching the gospel. Uh, Sally comes. They uh, they have um, a baby, a little mm-hmm. girl. They name it for um, Sally's good friend, Annie. And uh, they, so she's named for them. And just everything just seems to be going right, right for this missionary couple. And the way you describe it, it sounds like we're talking about a, a lengthy period of time. But reality is, is they arrived in 59. Yeah. And... Annie was born in 1861. Right. And just a few months after her birth, tragedy struck. Yeah. Tragedy strikes because she gets sick. Yes, she does. And um, so here, uh, you know, you're opening up this new mission field. They're they're preaching the gospel. Things just seem to be going so well. And the little baby gets sick and just very quickly she dies. Um, she's taken and her body is buried. They, she can't be buried. At that point, China, the Chinese would not allow a foreigner to be buried on mainland Chinese soil. So there's a little island in the harbor of Chefu. Uh, it's called a lot of different names, uh, but uh, French Island then, later Lighthouse Island. Um, and she's buried there on the rocky soil of that island. So here, this young couple, their first little baby, um, and and they're struck with this tragedy right. of her dying. But they managed to continue. But just a month and a half after that, in October of 1861, you mentioned earlier the Taiping yeah. Rebellion and some Taiping rebels, whether connected to the main army or a splinter group or whatever, it's not quite certain which were just going on the rampage in that part of China and right. were proceeding towards a village nearby to where uh, Landrum and Sally were living. And the right. name of that village was um, Chucky, I believe. Yeah. And because of Landrum's past experience in Nanking that you mentioned, mm-hmm. he thought he might be able to go out and reason with the Taiping rebels and to right. dissuade them from coming in. And he had a heart yeah. for the people. He wanted to preserve the lives in the village of these people mm-hmm. that he was ministering to. And so he and an Episcopal missionary by the name of Parker Mm -hmm. uh, decide to go out and to journey and to try and intercept them and to persuade them to uh, bypass this village. And and what happened? Yes. So they they ride out, um, both of them, you know, having a thought that maybe because of this previous contact that they could negotiate uh, with this sort of splinter group from the the Taiping um, rebels, uh, they're gone, and basically they they don't come back, and uh, families are starting to get panicked. Uh, one little bit of the story that we've got to add is you, you hear the date, 1861, um, civil war has started at home. That's right. So finances have dried up, um, and they're now actually having to make, Landrum is making his living, working with his brother, Matthew, who has opened an import-export business there in the city of, uh, of Chefu. And so that's how they're surviving. They're not even receiving funds from missionary supporters back here in the U.S. Um, but basically, they're, they're gone out and they're not heard from. And so after a period of, of several days, um, Matthew Yates, that's Landrum's brother, says, We've got to try to find them. Matthew Holmes. I mean, Matthew Holmes. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm confused. The other my, Matthew. The yeah. other Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Not Matthew Yates. Matthew Holmes. Yes. And um, so they organize a search party. 
they ride out. Uh, I think it was like a couple days journey or something right. like that. And they, they basically, they meet some people who say they know what happened. Right. And those eyewitnesses sort of give them the story. They had stayed at an inn, a Chinese inn, um, one night. And the next morning early, they were getting up to ride out to meet uh, these rebels to try to negotiate with them. And and then they weren't successful, were they? No, they, they weren't successful. This is this is really, uh, you know, there, there's some stories that are really hard to read. Um, and this is one of them. Um you know, at this point, we'd had some missionaries. Um, our first medical missionary had drowned. Uh, we had some other people that had, had died on on ship, but we'd not had anybody that had died a violent death. That's right. So Landrum and um, this missionary, Episcopal missionary Parker, um, the story is by these witnesses that they were riding out to meet uh, these rebels, and the rebels even saw them, rode up to them, and without a word, they just, with swords, uh, they just struck them down. Um, just the, the later description of the wounds are so horrific. L- literally, the only thing I can liken this to is this is long before the, the, the Through Gates of Splendor story, but it is that kind of story. And like those missionaries of uh, Jim Elliott and others, they were Landrum was was armed by all accounts. Right. He he rode out. It was not unusual for people of that time to carry uh, a handgun, yeah. um, but he chose not to use it in defense of himself right. and of of the other missionary, and willingly gave their lives for an other people who had yet to hear the gospel or were in the process of hearing the gospel. Um, I just can't fathom the courage that that took and the motivation and the love that he had for those people. That's right. And, you know, it, it says that, um, you know, in describing the, I, I guess in the Episcopal report, right. Um, the, the wounds were just absolutely horrific after their body was sort of dismembered they were burned. So it was it was quite horrific for Matthew and the others of the search party to come upon this, but they recorded it. Um, you imagine now uh, Sally back waiting there in um, Yentai. The news comes back to her that her husband, who, you know, just by her own account, she said, I mean, their love was really deep. I was. mean, they were not just, you know, partners, they were really had a deep love. And she just, you know, had him in a very high esteem. And and, um, so she had lost her child, uh, like I said, six weeks earlier, her husband is struck down. Um, You know, one thing that had happened before Landrum died, they had another missionary who had come and, and um, I can't remember if it was a wife or husband that died. And this person was was saying, well, we've got to go back. And he said, Sally, I, I just don't want to die because I just can't imagine you making that long trip back to America. And Sally said to him prophetically before he died, oh, don't worry about me going back to America. I'm going to stay right here because I'm called to this field. And that's what, as I began to read some of these letters that were donated to our archives, the one letter that she wrote to her sister after Landrum's death, it's just gripping. Because she talks about her burden and to desire to minister to the people there. 
but she's afraid that the board is going to send her back to Shanghai where she doesn't speak the dialect. Yeah. And she feels like if that happens, that she's not going to be of use. Yeah. And she says that if that happens, I may as well come home, but I really don't want to come home. Yeah. And of course, the rest of the story is, is that she didn't go home. She, she was able home. to stay up in Shantung yeah. and to continue to minister. And it wasn't very long after Landrum's death that she discovered that she was expecting again. That's this is where the story just gets so amazing. Is right. She had lost uh, her daughter, lost her husband, which they're both, by the way, buried on this island uh, out in the harbor of Chefu, um, later called Lighthouse Island. Um, and she does. She find out she, she's expecting. You mentioned a letter that she'd written. Let me just read a few lines from this. Um, this is what she wrote. She said, I could not leave the people Landrum has known and who have known him while there is any hope of doing them good. And when they talk, as they so often do, that they're not afraid of me. My husband was a good man and gave his life for theirs. How willingly would I also give mine for them? Life can never be the joy it once was to me. And to die and be with Landrum again would be joy. But I don't think I have just the right feeling about that. I know I think more of dying and being with Landrum than with my Savior. Still, I believe I'm God's child, and I don't think he will let me feel that all that way always, though through what other furnace of affliction I shall be called to pass before my heart is purified of its dross, I do not know. He only, in his infinite wisdom and love, knows what is necessary. And I know he will not forsake me. Uh, this is typical Sally. She, Absolutely. She, it's just amazing how this lady can put her spiritual struggle on paper and we can all identify in a certain way with her. And she doesn't hide her those emotions. She yeah. doesn't gloss over the feelings. Uh, in the, the other letter that I was referring to, she, she says that uh, I feel I ought to write and yet it is very hard to do. Mm. I wonder if my heart is broken. I hardly know how I do feel. I am miserable all the time and in agony often. And this feeling is so overwhelming, I am scarcely conscious of any other. But there's a but. Yeah. She says, I fully believe in the tender watch care of God. Yeah. She was looking to God's comfort and peace mm. to help her get through this and struggling with emotions that I can only imagine mm -hmm. what they must have been mm -hmm. uh, and she stays and no one would have would have thought it wrong if she came back to the the states yeah. after this M mrs parker did mrs parker she did. returned but sally here now has lost her daughter yeah. lost her husband gives birth to a son mm -hmm. and as a single mother commits mm -hmm. to stay yeah. on the mission field Absolutely. And, and, you know, she says something about that. She says that one of the things that about her affliction is she says, you know, I've lost my my husband. That I love so much. But I think about all of the people I'm surrounded by in Shandong and they lose loved ones every day. But the difference is they have no hope that mm -hmm. they will ever see them again because they don't know Christ and they don't know the gospel. This, this is a lady who really she felt it. She experienced it. Um, Really, the story of Landrum riding out and laying down his life for the Chinese really became sort of the, 
the story that opened their mind to understand the one who came from heaven to lay down his life. They, they, they knew it. They had seen it in the life of Landrum. And so it opened a real gospel door for her. And rather than walking away from the opportunity, even though her heart was broken, as you said, she stayed and she used uh, that painful open door to be able to, to tell people of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, for their salvation, for the, the forgiveness of their sins. And um, she uh, was amazing. She had this little house, uh, this house at Little Crossroads. That's right. Um, Which most people know is Lottie Moon's Lottie house. Moon's house, right? Lottie Moon eventually uh, buys the house from her. Um, Sally has her son, who's named Landrum, Landrum Jr., she also takes in two Chinese boys that she raises. So she's a, she's got three boys she's raising. Uh, she loved teaching. She Her mother was a teacher. She was very bright. She uh, had, had been trained in that herself. And so she had several schools that she started. Um, and her focus in these schools was really teaching these kids about God, about the Bible, but especially about Christ and the gospel, memorizing scripture. And she was a pioneer pioneer in other ways, too. She began to go out into the villages. That's right. Um, she and another missionary by the name of Martha Crawford would begin to canvas villages and to get into the homes uh, and minister and teach women where male missionaries had not had an opportunity to do and to carry the gospel to these homes. And she would go and just speak all day traveling with, in many ways, very difficult travel um, mechanisms. I mean, a mule litter, a walking carts, just not a very comfortable way to travel. Yeah. And we're, we owe a debt of gratitude to Sally for staying, not just because of the example that she sets for us, the methods that she pioneered, mm -hmm but because she also took a young missionary under her wing and taught her the rope, so to speak. Mm -hmm. She took Lottie Moon wow. and literally drug her about the countryside yeah. and carried her from village to village, modeling to Lottie yeah. how to do missions, how to reach people. Mm -hmm. And Lottie actually writes quite a bit about that herself and the influence that Sally had on her. And so I, we know Lottie. We right. know Lottie's story in depth, but we often forget about that senior missionary mm -hmm. who had come through all this pain and misery as she so herself expresses her faith in God carries her through. She stays and she begins to share and pass down the approach and the methods of how to carry the gospel to those people, to, to Lottie. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. That's kind of the heart of your article, which I'd encourage people to go to imb.org and read your article on Everyone Needs a Mentor, uh, Meet Sally Holmes, um, the mentor of, of Lottie Moon. And just a that's kind of the point, is Lottie Moon did not come to the mission field uh, knowing how to do everything, right? Yeah. She, she was an un... Uh, developed uh, evangelist. And it was really the role model of Sally Holmes and, as you mentioned, Martha Crawford that, uh, that taught her this, uh, what became really the, the defining work of Lottie Moon, which was village to village evangelism. And just to give you a, an example of, it was estimated that Sally and Martha had taken the gospel into hundreds of villages and thousands of homes. In fact, 
In the first six months of 1876, Sally visited 118 different villages in six months. In fact, another biographer of Lottie said that Sally covered as many as 400 villages in a year. And Lottie acknowledged acknowledged in 1900 that seed that had been sown back then by Sally and Martha, and of course Lottie as a young missionary, was beginning to spring up and bear fruit. Um, In the 1880s, early 1880s, so this is 20 years after Landrum's death, um, finally, two factors come together in Sally's life. One is her real desire to be back with Landrum and the her Landrum Jr. Right. Uh, in in America, and the other is is her health. I mean, we think, oh wow, twenty years, no big deal. You have to understand, most missionaries that had gone twenty years had already died. I mean, she is um, amazing in terms of her strength, but eventually her health gives out. She returns back to the United States and. We kind of just want to tell a little bit of this story. Um, She's lost Landrum, hasn't she? Um, Landrum Jr.? Jr., yeah. No, he's still alive. Um, but, I mean, she loses track with him at one point yeah, I don't and know. puts a, an ad in the paper really? searching for him. Yeah, Really? Yeah. I didn't know that part of the yeah. story. Um, they both moved back. By the way, they moved back to West Virginia, which wasn't a state when she left. Right. And so, but then she she moves into this uh, this town um, uh, called Moundsville, uh, West Virginia, right on the Ohio River. Um, Landrum is a medical doctor. Um, but this is the sad part of the story. According to the Donald Little, the one who wrote the book that you mentioned earlier, um, he or the letters came from him. Right. He um, Landrum was an opium addict. I mean, the story for Sally just she is almost like she just never can get past one tragedy after another. But apparently he dies uh, there. He's buried in Moundsville. She lives another 20 years, very involved in her church. Uh, you'll see even in our, our missionary um, uh, journals and stuff that she was sort of the West Virginia representative, right. always encouraging missions in the state. Um, a couple of funny things about her. Um, one, they say that she wore black like the rest of her life, right. <laughs> you know, and, and at one point she lived near Annie, her friend, and she'd go and sit on the porch with Annie and talk. And then without even saying goodbye, she'd leave. I mean, they were like lifelong friends, these two. But she um, another curious thing, they said she absolutely loved having an immaculate lawn. And so she had the best lawn in all of Moundsville. <laughs> and uh, I, I think what a strange little thing. But she was at this one talk um, where this person was making some theological statement. And Sally said, no, hold on a second. I don't I don't agree with that. And the person says, well, you know, who are you? What do you know? And she said, well, let's look at the Greek. And she was fluent enough. She could read her Greek New Testament, just like Lottie. I mean, she just pop it out. And so by the time she finished reading the Greek New Testament, the guy just knew he couldn't argue with her. And so she was fluent in Greek. She had learned French, French. even before yep. she went. She was fluent in Chinese. Um, she knew some German. Just incredible missionary uh, who went through so much sadness. But when she dies, I don't know, 19, when does she die? 1911-ish, somewhere in there, 1912. When she dies, um, 
Do you know? We're not sure when she dies. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let yeah, me you know, look it up in your book. Yeah, let's look at 1914. 1914. Two years, two years after Lottie, who yeah, died two in years 1912. After Lottie, so she, four years before Lottie was born, <laughs> she was born. Um, but she's buried beside her son Landrum in the Rose Hill Cemetery. I think it's kind of interesting. Here she's buried with her son, and Landrum and the daughter Annie are buried on Lighthouse Island in the harbor of Chefu. Um, just a, kind of an amazing reality to think about. But right before she died, she was shown pictures that in the centennial, the I guess it was the Judson Centennial, right. that the first project that had, had uh, been funded by this special gifts during the centennial was to build a chapel in Chefu, and it was known as Holmes Memorial Chapel. And uh, at the dedication service, 2,000 people were there, which is kind of unbelievable to think that this couple uh, had been a light uh, to sort of the opening of the door to bring the gospel, mm-hmm. and then all these decades later that the gospel really was quite strong in that area. It was, and... What a testimony to a life dedicated to God and uh, expressing love for people. You know, as, as we said, you can tell, I, I know anybody listening to this, how enthusiastic we are. But I just think uh, about Sally and Landrum, just what an incredible example uh, they set to be faithful through loss after loss after loss, hardship after hardship living for something that was bigger and better than anything this world can afford, and that is for Jesus Christ and his gospel and wanting it to be shared to the very ends of the earth. And so we as Southern Baptists, we we owe a deep debt of gratitude to Landrum and Sally for being trailblazers uh, in Shandong, which became one of our strongest provinces as, for mission work but also for just showing us how to endure and persevere no matter what happens. That's right. And so, Scott, thank you. I encourage you to go to imb.org and read uh, Scott's article on Sally Holmes. Also, uh, in my book, Not Forgotten, there's a chapter on Landrum and Sally. And um, we hope, again, somebody will take up our challenge and, um, and dig into the life of Sally. I think a, a, a biography on her is much needed and will be um, something will be a blessing to many. So, Scott, um, thank you again for for the work that you've done and on Sally. And um, so for Missions History Podcast, I'm David Brady. And I'm Scott Peterson. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Missions History Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And check out more great content like this at imb.org.